What's up, guys? It's your boy Triple D here, here to talk about Lovecraft Country Episode 1, Sundown. Ooh, man. Obviously, you've been on Twitter and other social media outlets, and uh, this show is going to be a wild, wild ride. And I'm going to do my best to do a recap episode every week and try to have it up every Wednesday, because this show is, oof, is a lot. There's a whole lot that they are cramming into this first episode, so I'm excited to see what happens next. I remember seeing the previews for this, and I'm not usually big on sci-fi horror. Um, every once in a while, I'll get into a show like that, but it was just something about this that really stuck out to me. On top of, you know, Journey Smollett being in it. I'm not super familiar with Jonathan Majors, uh, but I did see the Michael Kenneth Williams in it, and I was like, all right. Um, you got that, you got sci-fi, you got monsters, color me intrigued. And, um, this first episode did not disappoint. It was a little confusing from times, but it did not disappoint. So the first episode of this recap is going to be to pretty much talk about a uh, basic plot that we know so far. And, um, I'm pretty much just going to gush about the show for a while because this was a very, very intense first episode. So the main episode plot pretty much focuses on the returning Atticus Freeman, played by Jonathan Majors, um, on his way home to Chicago to begin the search for his father, who's missing, uh, Montrose Freeman, who we will learn is going to be played by Michael Kenneth Williams. Uh, he reunites with family, um, including his uncle George Freeman, played by the Courtney Vance, and is later joined by his childhood friend, uh, played by Journey Smollett, under the name of Letitia Lewis. So the time frame of this is pretty much 1950s America, which is racism in its purest, purest, one of its purest uncut forms, racism at its thickest. And there's so many, so many examples in this first episode that just makes me cringe at the what they're going to do to ramp it up because I, I just feel it coming. Um, so we meet our we meet our hero on the back of a bus um, on his way back home, and he's having a dream in which he's serving in the military. And in the middle of this intense battle, um, a whole lot of crazy stuff starts happening. Uh, there's aliens and laser guns. I'm pretty sure Cthulhu popped up in there. And uh, this mysterious red woman who comes down from the skies and Jackie Robinson shows up to save the day real quick. It's the wildest opening to a series I've ever, I've seen in I don't know how long. I can't even remember how long. Um, but I think one of the first things that really drew me in was like, OK, this dude has a crazy, wild, overactive imagination. And I like that. We see him reading a book that he's trying to explain to another uh, black woman passenger um again racism because they were both in the back of the bus the bus breaks down and the quote-unquote pickup truck that's coming to uh give people a ride to their destination comes and um they they do a good job of building up tension i can already tell this is going to be one of those ones that like it reels you in and then they slam you because the whole time He's looking at the guy, you know, help load up all these trucks and everything. And he's kind of standing there. And I see him look over at the uh, the black woman. I'm thinking like, OK, this is about to get tense already where, you know, 
he gets into an argument about letting them ride, or at least, you know, he tries to see if um, they'll take her. Uh, nope. Just cuts to them walking down the highway by themselves. They got left, which wasn't shocking, but there's a, t- there's a ton to unpack uh, with that. So as he's, as they're, you know, kind of chatting it up, uh, he explains to the woman that he's on his way home to um, find out what happened to his father. Uh, his dad's gone missing. And from there, he, you know, he pops up back home. But before he pops back home, we get the introduction of uh, Courtney B. Vance's character, uh, Uncle George, and his wife. And I, I feel like I'm going to butcher this, but I, I, I read it as Hippolyta, and I'm not 100% sure. I apologize. Hopefully I hear it again, because I, I, I couldn't find a recording of it being said again. But um, yeah, uh, poor Cousin D, uh, we've all been there. Had to hear the parents getting it on, so oof, prayers to her. I'm going to try not to go super scene by scene, especially with this first episode. If you're interested, if you hadn't seen it yet, the first episode is on YouTube in its entirety, so definitely check that out. Uh, just be prepared, because um, it's a lot, a whole lot. So we learn very early that his aunt and uncle are the runners of the Safe Negro Travel Guide, which is pretty much just a guide for Negroes to travel across the country uh, safely in these thick, thick racist times that they were living in. And this is this I can tell this is definitely going to be one of those kind of running themes, which is super dope. Um, but it's also one of those things that it's like you kind of know. If you're of a certain age uh, as a black person, you've either experienced in this day and age, you've either experienced things along those lines back then. If you're old enough to, you know, have been there and fortunate enough to still be with us uh, to those of us who have heard certain things like this. Um, But I can tell that we're getting a much from my vantage point, a much clearer uh, experience than um then it's been portrayed in a lot of other things. There's been a lot of stories told um, as a person who doesn't watch a ton of TV and hasn't seen a ton of movies. There are a lot of things that happen in this very first episode. It's like I kind of heard about, but seeing it was for, for the first time was like, oof, it's it's everything from goosebumps to chills to to jaw clenching it is a whole range of emotions and um speaking of range of emotions the acting in this i'm already a fan of um just the the exchange between uh tick and his uh uncle in the in the the guide shop where they're going over uh, the the note or the excuse me the letter that was sent by his father and just like a lot of the the dialect choices which i think is really good because usually when from what I've taken in personally, a lot of the things that I've seen in the past where we deal with things in this age, um, as far as like the 1950s and 60s and stuff like that, a lot of the, the dialect and, and accents can be super heavy and not in a good way, not like super, you know, rich and authentic, but more like a little too much, like just going a little too far for it. So I really appreciated like a lot of the the dialogue and and their choices so far. Um, I'm not going to get tired of, you know, hearing them speak in this dialect because uh, I, I don't think I've heard two people in this episode. I don't think I heard two people sound exactly alike. 
and a lot of times when you see the stuff from this era, like I said, it, it can be too much. And there's a lot of people they'll they'll make them talk like slavery ended last month or something like that. So the acting I can already tell is going to be a, a very high point, especially when you got Courtney B. Vance on the role. You got um, you got Jesse Smollett on the role, and I'm, I'm not like I said I'm not super familiar with Jonathan Majors, but I checked out his listing and um, he's got he's been in a few things, most of which I've not seen, but I'm definitely gonna check out um, some of his stuff. Um, you got Michael Kenneth Williams coming up soon, like what more do you need? Like acting is covered. Um, the music they did a they did a real quick flip on the music where they brought in a. Uh, a modern song that I wasn't expecting. I don't think anyone was expecting, which was, it fit super well, but at the same time, they didn't overdo it. Um, they didn't go uh, the Django route where there was a rap song every 15 minutes or so. Not to say the Django was that heavy, but like they, they threw one in there and then they stuck to like regular scoring, which was dope. And like, I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for more like unexpected surprises like that. So we get a recreation of a of a dope block party scene that um, I thought was really cool. Uh, just a bunch of black people having fun, which was awesome to see. And it, it didn't look hokey or anything like that. It felt super authentic for the time. And we get introduced to Ruby Baptiste, um, which I'm wondering, I'm curious as if it's a stage name, uh, but a, a singer who is the sister of Letty or Letitia, uh, who also is introduced in the scene as returning home, taking some pictures and um, manages to get her herself uh, called up to the stage to which they, they, they share a song, a duet, if you will. And uh, we see some, some sisterly love. We also see some competitiveness. And as the scene plays out, we definitely see some animosity um, and to go ahead and, and package it with uh we see the scene with um, her brother later on. Uh, we find out that Letty is not necessarily the most dependable family member uh, of the three of them. I'm not sure if they have any more siblings. Uh, time will tell, hopefully. Uh, but we find out that she she seems a bit flighty. Um, she'll take off and you know kind of stay away, but she'll pop up when she needs money or a place to stay. And um, at first glance, doesn't seem super appreciative, but um. I'm hoping that that's a build up to, you know, us finding out that you know, she has her reasons and she's not necessarily as bad as her family members try to, you know, portray her to be. Um, so from there, we get a tick returning to his his home um, where we see that there's been like a, a punch in the wall, like some plaster damage from what we find out later uh, was an altercation between him and his dad. Um, and we we see that his dad left the book, The Count of Monte Cristo. Not sure if that's going to play any specific part, but um, I think I do like the fact that they've they've laid the groundwork that him and his dad are readers. Um, they're not just, you know, day to day uh, getting by like they actually have working imaginations and they, they enjoy, you know, reading, which is something I definitely need to do more of. Um, but we make we see him make a call and man, I can't even imagine like if I, I, I grew up in the era of rotary, you know, uh, rotary phones and everything like that. But there 
today, if I lost my phone, there's probably only three people I'd, whose numbers I'd actually remember uh, to call. Not only did this man remember the number, but he remembered the code to call to, South, I believe, South Korea, uh, where he's greeted by someone who knows it's him, um, confirms that he left and told him that he shouldn't have left. Very scary, seedy voice. I'm wondering if it's uh, the red woman that we saw earlier or if it's um, the, ma the actual manifestation of that, that being that we saw. Um, but he's clearly worked up and um, time will tell what that reveals. So after that, we see the load up for this road trip. Um, they're going to do some more work for the guide as well as do some investigating into his father's whereabouts. Uh, a lot of dope imagery with this. Um, the Gordon Park shout out was phenomenal. Like when it happened, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I had to pause it. Um, back when I was a museum associate, we actually had uh, a little mini temporary gallery dedicated to his works. And the scene where they're walking out and there's the, the little black girl in the white frilly dress, you know, being greeted by her mother. We had that picture on display. So that being recreated was chills and just dope. So again, like the cinematography is already um, had been bananas up to that point. And it's I feel like it's only going to get more mind blowing. So as they're on their travels, um, they end up stopping at a place uh, in a small town where as they're coming in, they get mean mugged by some people sitting outside of a fire department, which, you know, is a precursor to, uh, you know, not to give too much away. But if you're listening this far in, I'm going to assume you've watched the episode again. If not, the first episode in its entirety is on YouTube. Go do that. If you don't have HBO, go do it. Um, so they, they make their way into a, the diner that they were looking for. It's at the address of where they were actually coming to check out one of the leads, but, uh, the name of the establishment, um, was completely different. So they go in, ask to be seated. There's two white men in the counter, the guy working there and another guy who just happens to be there, both flabbergasted because, you know, these Negroes would dare walk into into this establishment wanting to be served how dare they you know racism you know how it goes letty decides to go use the restroom while they're sitting there and as she's coming back she notices that the guy working the counter is on the phone with someone and this is where we get our first kind of instance of like they made granted it, it was definitely a dire situation but the scene of her running out telling us like we got to get up out of here it's like the little bit of comedy whether it was intentional or not in a very in the, in the the beginning of a very tense situation is what's going to have me completely on I'm already on board but like it's going to have me even more uh enthralled with this show because the, that whole scenario you know it's definitely a laugh to keep from crying thing because it shouldn't have been funny but I'm sorry her running out telling them we got to get up out of here it was hilarious to me to which uh the guy called someone and um, a posse is on their way to shoot first and ask questions later. Um, and what blew my mind, although I shouldn't have been surprised, uh, the fire department was in on it. Like the fire department was chasing them down. Like, granted, I know the time here. I should not be surprised whatsoever. But up until, you know, for the most part, 
firemen are, are historically good guys. Um, and I think it's for me, it's the first time I've ever seen firemen do something bad. Again, I know I should not be surprised because, you know, racism. But it was like, dang. So, you know, even the firemen's got their quote unquote bad apples or had them. And they, there's a very good possibility they still do. But it was it was wild. Um, that whole chase was just crazy that they were they were on their tails. And we in the heat of this chase, um, Letty behind the wheel, she we we get the chase and she sees a, a silver sedan running up um, from a side road and they're doing their best to get ahead of it. Now, ironically, when when Atticus is out looking for answers uh, and he runs across the bar that his dad, you know, pretty much hung out and he finds out that his dad drove off in a silver sedan that looked foreign and super expensive. Um, now, I'm curious as if to whether or not this was the same sedan, but um, that sedan ends up getting in between uh, Woody, the uh, the. The, the our heroes uh, version of the the Mach 5 and um, our attackers and ends up causing a crash where I had to rewind it like two or three times. Um, the 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 chasers, the attackers, they hit an invisible wall or some force that sends them shooting over them and presumably dead because, uh, yeah, that looked bad, um, especially for do old boy in the back. But, you know, no remorse because, you know racism so they take off we see a we see a woman a white woman get out of the passenger side um but granted they said it was a foreign car that could have very easily been the driver's side so who knows now assuming assuming it's the passenger side that means there was somebody else in the driver's side and i'm curious as to whether or not that was his dad seeing as how he was tied to a, a similar described car earlier um but that's just one of my many theories from this first episode. So this is where it took a, a real, a weird, not weird, but like a heavy turn for me where I actually had to pause and let it marinate. Um, once they flee the attackers, they, they make it to Letty's, I'm assuming brother's house. And they're laughing it off. Like they're chuckling. Like, and I, all I could think was just like, what? Like, did you know, did they make that up? Like, did they imagine what happened happened? And, you know, it just took some thinking and it's just the realization that that's the type of racism they were dealing with on a daily basis. And while as far as we've come, I don't know if is and people people love to say, had that been me, I would have did this. Everybody says that. But the, the main the main objective for them and it, it comes up later again is survival. Do what you have to do to survive. They 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 figured out the block was hot and they ran. Whereas in a lot of people today claim, you know, I'd have stayed, I'd have did this, I'd have fought, and I'd have did that. It clearly a much different time. And it just makes me wonder like, could we actually, you know, would we make it today? Um I don't know. Like the jury's out. Like I don't know. As much as I want to say we we'd be all right and we'd make the best like we we would do it if it were to you know come back to that i don't know because those dudes were shooting first and asking no questions there's obviously without it ha it goes without saying how many injustices you know black people and other people of color face in the world um 
but that was a whole whole nother level completely different level won't there won't no camera phones um there was my there was our word versus their word and that that was terrifying but the fact that it's so it's so almost every day for them that they could laugh that off like that happens to me once i'm seeking count i'm seeking therapy and counsel granted you know i'm i'm 100 percent positive they could have used it back then too but you know access obviously wasn't what it what it is now but it was just it was mind-blowing to just see them just laugh it off this whole complete different level of racism so after they leave um letty's brother's house um and they continue their travels things get real um they pull over to the side of the road because they're looking for a road that they couldn't seem to come across map wise but um the tick believes that it's it's hidden somewhere um you know roads get covered up over time that are unused so you know he hops out to to look for it and uh like i said things get real when a a racist uh sheriff or officer or deputy or whatever a racist lawman approaches them and um, pretty much questions them as to what their business is um, on the roads in quote unquote his town, and oh, I, I left that out. As they're as they're entering, we see a sign that says um, "Negroes beware." Only I don't think they said Negroes. And this is a sundown town, uh, which once the sun goes down and you're out, the police, the law, feel they have the right to do whatever they deem necessary with you, uh, which is a horrifying thought. Still, there's certain areas to this day that I'm sure are still operating under that. But to think of that so widespread back then is just heart sinking. So he informs them after some 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 prodding and, and taunting. He informs them that sundown is not is not too far off and they got a decision to make. Are they going to stick around and see what's really good? Are they going to are they going to try and leave? And this is where just the the smarts of of Atticus comes into play because he he kept it cool like I, I can't say that most of us would have done the same thing you can you're more than welcome to be like yeah I'd have done the same thing and eh, we don't know and hopefully we never will but he had he had the four he had the forethought to to ask is a U-turn illegal smart and also what's the you know what happens if I if I go over above the speed limit smart because most people would have just thrown that U-turn. He probably would have uh, pulled you over or he, they would have started speeding and he definitely would have pulled you over. They would just sped out and he did sirens and you're you're on. So this was hands down the most stressful thing I've witnessed on TV in years. Uh, these guys trying to get across the, the train tracks before sun goes down while also obeying the speed limit. It's it was like, oh, my God, just thinking about it was was so, oh, my God, it was so nerve wracking. It's like that scene that even if you haven't seen the original, you've seen it recreated at least once in your life. Um, one of the Indiana Jones movies where the, the huge stone boulder comes rolling down and crushing everything in his path. And he has to he has to make a run for it and or he's dead, obviously. And it's like that, but 
right before you take off running, someone yells out, no running, walking only. It was it, it's like being pulled apart in two different directions. And it was just it was a brilliant choice. I've never seen anything like that on TV or in movies ever, where it's just like you need to get out of a place as fast as you can, but also not as fast as you can. Or one of those ways you're going to die is after what seemed like another 30 minutes. Um, they make it across the train tracks and there's a there's a brief celebration for for them and for us only to have that immediately ripped away when there's a a barricade of of uh cops waiting for them which is just super messed up on on many levels because they were clearly waiting for whatever uh black person was going to come by um whether they made it on time or not and they were going to do what they were going to do um they're being taken through the woods and they're clearly about to be executed in the middle of the woods where things go from real to really real when something runs up out of the, the woods and bites a dude in half, snatches a chunk out of people's arm of out of a guy's arm and all hell breaks loose. Um, that's one thing that I can already tell. This is going to be true, true blood levels of bloodiness. Game of Thrones had its moments, but like I can tell that they're going to be, it's going to be blood spray in this one. <laughs> and I'm here for it. So in the ensuing chaos of whatever this monster is attacking the police officers, Atticus decides, you know what, we got to run for it. Smart move. And uh, him and Letty take off. Unfortunately, Uncle George gets knocked down and uh, he, he gets separated from them. So they take off running. They find, a, they find themselves a, a kind of abandoned cabin and they try to barricade themselves up in there. Two of the other officers run up behind them and make and force their way in as well. Uh, one of them uh, has a chunk bitten out of his shoulder and they barricade themselves. They, so they barricade themselves in and um, Atticus realizes that his uncle is gone and he didn't make it behind him. So he's trying to, you know, tell him, like, I got to go get my uncle. Um, they piece together that light is what distracts these guys. They, they can't seem to, to handle a lot of light. Uh, as we find out later, these things are covered in eyeballs, uh, which is super weird and gross, but a cool effect. He decides, hey, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go find him. I'm going to grab the car, turn on the high beams and bring the car back to which the teacher says, you know what? That's not a good idea. You already can't see as is, <laughs> which is kind of a dig. Um, and it's hard and it's dark outside. So she decides, hey, I'm going to run it. I used to run track. You know that. So she makes a run for it and hopefully has set the bar for not just people, but women and men in general in horror movies uh, running away from whatever's behind them because she is sprinting. There's no look, ain't nothing to look back for. She's straight line. There's no reason to zigzag just yet because she can't hear the monster on her tail. Sprint full, head forward, head full of steam, going for it. So that was amazing. So in the, in the meantime of that, Uncle George makes it to the cabin. And while him and Atticus are in there with the other two cops, I, I thought this. I was like, well, this dude's got to bleed out because he's got a chunk of his shoulder missing. It got, you know, munched down. So we see one of the coolest things that I was not expecting to happen where this dude starts to I think he's dying in a sense. He is. But again, the comedy, the comedic timing um, 
un- whether it's intentional or unintentional was was spot on where uh, George goes, um, what happens if you get bit by a vampire? You turn into a vampire. This guy changes and starts to change into whatever that thing is. And they're they're telling the other officer, you need to shoot him. It's like that scene in uh, Wanted with Morgan Freeman. Shoot this motherfucker. So the guy changes, uh, doesn't get his shot off, gets bitten up, which was fine with me. Um, and I'm sure it was fine with them. And but right before he can get this thing can, you know, uh, sink in to, to our guys, Letty comes bursting through the door with the car. And without going super into detail, they make it out again. I cannot stress this enough. If you're still with me, go watch this first episode. Oof. This was this was a whole lot in this first episode. So they escape the forest covered in blood and they find themselves to this really nice grounds with this really big building that looks like a living residence, but also could double as a church and possibly some cult gatherings. Um, But, you know, that we'll see what time comes with that. And the episode ends with them being greeted by this strange white man who has been expecting them and already knows Atticus's name. This show, I can already tell, is going to be extremely stressful. It's executive produced by J.J. Abrams, hence the sci-fi, sci-fi effects and everything, Jordan Peele, the horror thing, but the glue holding this together is um, a woman by the name of Misha Green, who has been a writer in the game for quite a while. She wrote for Heroes, a few episodes of Spartacus, Sons of Anarchy. A lot of people are heralding this as this is this is mainly her. So props to her. And I look I, I look forward excitedly with whatever she brings us next and especially with this season. So normally when we would get the on the next episode, we actually get a we get a what's to follow in the upcoming weeks trailer where it's a whole lot going on. And I think the dopest thing I I picked up from this is that we're going to be following multiple characters. Um, It looks like there's it's not just our our big three of um, Atticus, uh, Letty and uh, Uncle George, but um, I'm seeing some other people in there. I'm seeing um, uh, Ruby, her sister in there. I'm getting multiple stories, which is dope, and it's going to be very interesting. They're already one episode in. They got nine more left. So overall, I, I really did enjoy this this first episode. They hit the gas, which I totally understand. You only got 10 episodes, and you got you clearly have a lot of ground to cover. It's really hard to come up with theories uh, this soon in, especially when there's not a ton of groundwork laid where we're kind of thrown into uh, the the adventures of this heroic trio. But the one theory I will make, because there's a there's a shot where they're kind of getting cleaned up on the side of the road where Letty takes a picture of Atticus. And in the upcoming weeks trailer, we see her in a in a dark room developing photos and she's looking at photos and something freaks her out. I think and this is my. This is my long-term theory for now. I think that we're going to find out that Atticus is something supernatural, and he just doesn't know it yet. And I, I think that whatever pictures she takes of him in possible future pictures is going to reveal what's underneath what we're seeing. All right, so, yeah, this is, this is episode one. 
I look forward to to really getting into this episode and doing recaps. I'm going to do my best to not go scene for scene, um, which I do enjoy doing sometimes. If you haven't checked out the Power uh, Post Game Report, go over to the PLP podcast, also under uh, Conversations with Carlos, where we talked about the last season of Power, uh, where we we did go scene by scene with that. Um, This is going to be a bit more uh, theory-based, big moments, and... um, I look forward to, to finishing up these these next nine episodes and hopefully they get picked up. It's it's hard these days for a lot of these series to get renewed. And I'm really hoping that they they give us a second, third, eighth season. I would love to have guests. So if you're feeling this show like I am and, and you want to be a guest and you want to talk it out with me, please hit me up. You know where to hit me up. If you've been listening, um, you can hit me up on whatever app you're listening to you can hit me up on instagram um, at off the clock pod as well as twitter under the same name o-f-f-t-h-a clock pod i'm on facebook at off the clock podcast and if you would like to email me i'm at off the clock podcast at yahoo.com again that's o-f-f-t-h-a clock podcast at yahoo and before we head out, I'm going to leave you with my favorite line from the episode, which is bars. It is when Atticus and I believe her name was Dora are on the side of the road. And she makes a comment that you're reading a story about a Confederate. Um, and he says ex-Confederate to which she says he fought for slavery. You don't get to put an X in front of that to which he he replies with um, a line that I was already in. But this line was like, okay, now I'm super in because I can tell you guys are going to be bringing bars. Uh, He replies, stories are like people. Loving them doesn't make them perfect. You just try and cherish them and overlook their flaws. So take with that what you will. Do do whatever you will with it. And I will see you guys next week.